0: Hello again church family. It's good to have the opportunity to open God's Word again for you today. I want to thank you again everyone who's been reaching out and caring for one another and also for just the encouragement that I know we've received here in our house. Uh, We certainly do miss seeing everyone and and the opportunity to worship together but it seems like uh, we are getting closer. Uh, uh, more and more good news each day concerning when we may be able to meet again so please uh, stay tuned also just a reminder uh, an email went out with a link to a reopening survey that we would like for you to take if you have not done so already please uh, see to that it'll only take you a couple of minutes just six questions if you did not receive that link and would like to be a part of the survey, please call me here at the church or email me or email Allison Schmucker, and we will make sure you get a, a link to that survey. But we would like to get those results in this week so we can begin to analyze those. Um, again, uh, these are challenging times, and I would ask for your prayer for myself and for the other elders as we uh, work through and wrestle with. The, the, the whole concept of uh, meeting back together uh, for worship, the things that need to be done there, when we should do it. Uh, you know, if you ask uh, different Christians, you get different answers concerning where their comfort level is, uh, concerning when we should get back together. There are many that uh, want to be meeting now and think that we should have been meeting all along. There are others who uh, think it should happen very soon, and there are others who who um simply don't think it's time yet, and, the, and safety should dictate that we wait even longer before meeting together. And so uh, the elders are aware of these different perspectives, and we are trying to be wise as we meet and pray together uh, concerning when it would be best for the church to get back together. So we ask for your patience and for your prayers as we work through this, and also uh, just keep checking your inbox. I'm sure you will be receiving more information from us as, it, uh, as more news comes out uh, concerning where the governor and also the president stand on all this. Uh, so we thank you for your prayers. Uh, today we continue our study of 2 Corinthians. Today we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read those for you now and we are going to jump right in today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 beginning at verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show the boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh." For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience, when your obedience is complete. Let's pray together. Lord, I do want to thank you uh, for this study and for the things that you have uh, shown us from your word. Lord, thank you for the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul and his faithfulness. Lord, thank you for your work of grace in the Church of Corinth, and Lord, the hope that it gives us of of the grace that you offer to us as well. Lord, I pray that you would use this time in your word, uh, not just to strengthen your people, Lord, but also, Lord, to build your church. Lord, I pray that as we Uh, are reminded of the importance of standing firm in the truth and and of the battle that lies before us, Lord, uh, that you would deepen our conviction of the authority and the truth of your word, uh, deepen our conviction to one another as your church, and, and Lord, use us for your glory. Lord, as always, I pray for help in preaching this message. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be clear and concise, Lord, help your people to hear and be blessed. And Lord, I pray that the work of your spirit in our lives would result in eternal fruit for your glory and for our good. I ask in Jesus name. Amen. Now, I'm going to begin on, on a little bit of a somber note uh, with my opening illustration today. I want to refer back to uh, history, uh, something that happened uh and what shouldn't seem like that long ago, but unfortunately it does as the year go years go by. Uh, but uh, back in 1982, uh, in the uh, city of Chicago and the surrounding area, there was a a scary event that took place that really began to uh, to shake our nation, and that was the Tylenol poisonings of 1982. Now, if you were um, Old enough to remember that, I'm sure that probably brings back some memories uh, uh, for you. Uh, for me, I was an 11 year old, and uh, this was one of those events in life that really opened my eyes uh, a little bit more uh, to this the danger of the world that we live in. And uh, I can remember uh, as news began to spread of of uh, of uh, people who were getting sick and and ultimately losing their lives because they had taken uh, Tylenol thinking they were getting medicine, but instead were getting uh, potassium cyanide. Uh, I can remember the fear that that was in our house. Even though the the affected people were in the Chicago area, um, I can remember my parents uh, coming home and getting rid of uh, all the Tylenol in the house, and I know that happened in other homes as well because people just did not know the scope of uh, of the Tylenol that had been contaminated by uh, an individual who still uh, has not been caught to this day. Um, the, 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 the problem was that uh, the cyanide, uh, once injected into the capsules that were uh, then put back on the shelves was that uh, you, there was no way to really tell uh, whether uh, a, a capsule had been tainted or not. And so this was uh, a very scary time. In fact, it, it was such a, a, a major crisis in America that, that it has literally changed the way we take over-the-counter medication today. Uh, uh, the, the fact that we have such a hard time getting into new packages of medicine when we buy them at the store is, is due in large part to these events that, that took place. Um, poison is deadly, and the problem with poison is that often it is indistinguishable, uh, at least at first, from uh, the, the things that might be good for us, as was the case uh, in the Tylenol Um scare uh, back in 1982. Again, that's kind of a heavy way to begin, but uh, I think it really captures uh, the, this idea, of the, the the reality of the danger of poison really uh, captures the uh, reality of the danger of false teaching in the church. Oftentimes it, it sounds good or, or it's mingled with truth, uh, but the ultimate result of the falsehood is that um, You know, it it poisons the the faith of sincere believers. It blinds the eyes of uh, those who who may not yet believe uh, and uh, perverts their understanding of the gospel. And it is something that uh, the church must be on guard against. One of the things that we see uh, clearly in our passage today is that uh, Paul lays a good bit of the responsibility for the health of the church at the feet of the Corinthians themselves. They were the church. They were the ones who were, who were there, who were living it out. Paul w- w- was traveling around the known world, preaching the gospel and, and, and building the church. So, so it fell to the Corinthians to be growing and maturing in their faith and also to deal with the influence of false teachers when they existed in the context of the church, which is the case here uh, that we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, up to this point in 2 Corinthians, Paul, we have we have seen him correct, uh, confront, uh, appeal to the, the, the greater uh, body of the church, and really he continues to do so here in chapter 10. Uh, But in chapter 10, we really begin to see a change in tone that extends throughout the rest of the letter. Uh, Paul has has shifted his focus from uh, the the things that he wanted the greater church uh, to understand, to, to begin to deal specifically with the false apostles, false Teachers, if you will, that threaten to lead the church astray. Uh, so these next three chapters are, are, are going to be very important, and, and they deal very clearly with the danger of false teacher, teaching. And, and Paul gives us a model as how we are to, uh, to deal with false teaching today as well. Now, in dealing with these false teachers, Paul is prepared to go to war. In defense of the gospel and in defense of the church, he's not just defending his own authority. He recognizes that as his authority is attacked, that that's affecting their view of his teaching. That, that that's affecting the health of the church. It's affecting their the the trustworthiness of the gospel in the eyes of the Corinthians. So so Paul recognizes that this is not something to mess around with. It is it is time to go to war in Paul's mind. And as we work through verses one through six in chapter 10, we'll, we'll do so under two main points that deal with this idea of this war that, that Paul is declaring on the false teachers in Corinth. Uh, first of all, we're gonna consider in verses one and two, Paul's appeal to avoid the war And then secondly, we're going to consider the nature of warfare, of Paul's warfare, in defense of the church. And again, it's my prayer that God would open our eyes and our hearts uh, and prepare us to become bold in his truth. We, too, need to be a people that are are grounded in and confident in the truth of God's word. So so let's look, first of all, at Paul's appeal to avoid this war in verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh." Paul begins with a very important phrase, I entreat you. That that word entreat really sets the tone for this this section of uh, 2 Corinthians. To to entreat means to ask earnestly. And and in the Greek, it gives the sense of coming alongside to encourage someone or, or, or to support them. And what we see here is Paul reaching out to, to the greater body of the church, those whom he had personally ministered to, and he's appealing to them to take action for the, for the health of the church. He says, I entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Now, meekness and gentleness were, were not qualities that, that the false teachers displayed, in fact, remember, they had stirred up the church against Paul. They were the ones who would come in and say, you know, that Paul, he's, he's not very impressive. Paul, he's just in it for the money. Paul, he's not even that gifted. The, the, these, these were not things that, that, that the false teachers valued. But Paul points out that these are qualities that, that are Christ-like qualities. Meekness has in view, uh, the idea of a humble gentleness. Paul isn't seeking revenge when it comes to the false teachers, but, but like Jesus, he has shown patience when he has been wronged. Gentleness, uh, when used by someone in authority, as Paul was, it refers to being lenient or long-suffering with those people. And Paul is pointing out, listen, Corinthians, I'm appealing to you. I, someone who has loved you and been patient with you and shown forbearance in relation to your own disobedience and failure to follow through. I have treated you in the same way that Christ has responded to us. I am appealing to you, church, to take action. Now, this is important because in the Greek and the Roman cultures, meekness and gentleness were actually seen as weaknesses. But we know, brothers and sisters, that Jesus was anything but weak. In fact, he was the the very epitome of true strength. The the very thing that the false teachers the false apostles mocked Paul for were actually Christ-like qualities. Now, this next phrase contains a bit of irony. Paul continues, I, who am humble when face to face with you, But bold when I am away. Now this is a true statement, but the irony here is that Paul is using the false teachers' own words against them. Paul is is appealing to the church, but he is firing shots. At the false teachers this is how they referred to paul paul oh well he's really he's tough and strong when he's not with us when he writes to us but but when he's here he's he, he's not frightening at all he's a humble man so so paul is saying listen you know what i'll use their description of me i'll own that because in that description i am being like christ and in verse 2, we finally get to Paul's appeal. Paul begins, I beg of you. Paul doesn't want to confront uh, the, the the church in the same way that he intends on dealing with the false teachers. Paul's appeal is that he wants the church to step up and deal with the problem because to a degree, the church was responsible for the health of the church. Now, I alluded to that earlier. Paul Pleads with the church. The, the the false teachers had charged him with walking according to the flesh, or uh, a better way to understand that would be living according to worldly standards. Now we've already seen in our studies of first of and second Corinthians that Paul had been accused of, of being in it for the money, he'd been accused of being a coward, and he'd been accused of not being that gifted and impressive as a as a preacher. And Paul warns the church that if they don't deal with this influence of the false apostles, then he certainly would. Paul fully intends to go to war against the false teachers because their attacks against him are also attacks against the gospel that he proclaimed. That's why he says, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness Boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Paul doesn't want to have to treat the Corinthians in the same way that the false teachers are going to need to be treated. He wants his boldness to be reserved for the false teachers if they're even left there at all. But the hope is that the church would rise up and be the church and deal with the existence of those that were, uh, that were preaching falsehoods and leading the people astray. So, so that's Paul's appeal. So now let's move on to verses 3 through 6 and consider the nature of Paul's warfare in defense of the church. Now, in these four verses, we find four aspects of the nature of the warfare that Paul intends on waging against the false apostles. First of all, in verse three, we see the arena in which this war, this warfare was going to take place. Paul continues, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Now, this is interesting because in verse 2, we see Paul warning that he is coming to deal boldly with those who suspect him of walking according to the flesh. But here in verse 3, he acknowledges walking in the flesh. So what, what gives? I mean, that's a good question, right? Paul, if you're walking in the flesh, why are you going to be bold against people who charge you of walking according to the flesh? And that really is a good question, and it's important that we understand what Paul has in mind here so we can feel the weight of the rest of this passage. Uh, Simply put, Paul is, is using the charge against him to make a point. His ministry was not based on worldly living or sinful motives, that idea of walking according to the flesh, But Paul was a person of flesh and blood, like you or I, who ministered in this fallen world. And that's what he means there by walking in the flesh. He doesn't walk according to worldly or or fleshly principles, even as he walks in the flesh, literally, physically. So there's there's the, the worldly fleshly mindset of verse two, and then the actual reality of living out his life physically in verse three so there's that those two things are in tension there and and that really gives weight to what paul writes next he says for though we walk in the flesh we are not waging war according to the flesh Though we live in the flesh, the, the war that we wage is not a, a fleshly war. Paul says, I'm not going to be bringing swords and shields, literal short, swords and shields to Corinth to come and, and physically hack up the false teachers. The battle, though, is taking place between Paul and the false teachers. It's physical, there's confrontation, but, but it's primarily a, a spiritual battle in nature. So so the arena in which the battle would rage would be spiritual in nature, within the hearts and the minds and the souls of those in Corinth. Verse 4, we're introduced to the weapons of Paul's warfare. Again, Paul writes, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, literal weapons, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds so Paul makes it clear these are our spiritual weapons rather than physical ones and they are powerful but what are they Paul hasn't really told us he just says that they're powerful they they tear down strongholds but as we consider the context of uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verses one through six we it's pretty clear what Paul is referring to Look at verse 5. Point, Paul points out that these weapons destroy arguments and every lofty, lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Now I'm going to focus more on the negative side of this in a moment, the 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 arguments and the lofty opinions. But we see that 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 we are at war, and Paul was at war against falsehood, lies, things that were being taught that were untrue and that were misleading the church. So how do we fight lies? With the truth, right? In this case, it's the Spirit-inspired Word of God. The, the battle was one that would be entered into prayerfully, and in full dependence on the Spirit of God to be at work. But the weapon that Paul would wield in battle would be the truth, the Word of God, and the same is true for us. The weapon that we wield is the Bible, is God's Word. But we, we, we see Paul refer to this elsewhere in his famous armor of God passage in Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 20. And in verse 17, he, he talks about the, the weapon for offense, the sword. Ephesians six seventeen Paul writes, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The weapons of Paul's warfare are the weapons of our warfare, the word of God. And we must use the word of God to stand against the deceit and lies of this age. That's that's the weapon that is effective. If not, we we will be caught up in the the philosophies of this world and and swept away by them and, and have our faith weakened. Those that truly believe and and those that may be affiliated with the church, but their faith not sincere, may never come to the truth if they are continually distracted and deceived by things that are not true, especially when those things are being promoted in the context of the church. These are life and death issues, brothers and sisters, in verse 5 we we are introduced to the enemies in warfare paul continues we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god and take every thought captive to obey christ now if our weapons are spirit empowered words of uh, the spirit empowered words of god uh, our enemies are are the deceit and the arrogance and even the deceivers that keep people from the truth and from the God of truth. You know, actually, we, we actually find our first enemy in verse 4, where we see that word strongholds. Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. As you look at this whole section, verses three through six, we see that these verses are filled with war imagery, battle imagery. And in verses four and five, Paul is describing this war as if he is an invading army that is laying siege to a city and taking it over in battle. Now in ancient times, the fortified cities would have walls and barriers that surrounded it and these were referred to as the strongholds they were designed to keep the enemy out and in Paul's war this spiritual war against the lies and the deceit of the false teachers these strongholds were the the teaching uh, teachings of the false apostles that, that that seemed plausible even irrefutable to the church and had led many of the corinthians astray so paul comes in and says listen i'm coming and i'm coming boldly because the truth that i bring is going to lay waste to to these strongholds that these false apostles have have set up in the context of the church i'm bringing the divine truth and these things will be destroyed now once the strongholds of a city were were breached and destroyed the the next step would be to take the high ground the, the tire the towers in, in the city to ensure that no enemy left behind could 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 take pot shots at them or or have a tactical advantage by being above them and so once the strongholds were breached they would immediately go in and would seek to take the high places so that they would have the tactical advantage over the city. And in Paul's war, this spiritual war with the false teachers, the the higher ground were, were, were the arguments and every lofty opinion that had been raised against the knowledge of God. Listen, brothers and sisters, to truly know God, we must be humble. The truth of God's word does humble us, does it not? and it exalts god but the false apostles and the corinthians were a proud people think back uh, to what we've studied in both first and second corinthians paul writes to humble them pride puffs up but before god brothers and sisters we need to be brought low the final act in taking a city would be the taking of captives. And in the case of Paul's war, those captives would be the thoughts and the minds of the people. He concludes verse 5 by saying to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, the arguments and lofty opinions and thoughts and verses Verse 5 are the ways that sin and ignorance cloud our understanding of God and his word. And it's the word of God that sets people free and exposes the lies while revealing the truth. And brothers and sisters, it's not just the Corinthians who need their hearts and minds taken captive by the truth of God's word. God's people need that today as well. We are are just as easily taken captive by by convincing arguments and lofty ideals and our own prideful arrogance that that can often cause us to grow callous to the truth of God's word. So we need to be brought low in obedience and faith that that, that we would be built up in Christ. And, And it is my prayer, brothers and sisters, that our minds will be brought into subjection to God, that we would stand and be faithful to proclaim his truth to the world. Finally, in verse six, we see the goal of Paul's warfare. He wraps it up by saying, by being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And again, we need to keep in mind that that Paul has in mind two different groups of people. He's he's writing to the the, the majority of the church that that he's appealing to, that has been responsive to his word, especially since Titus has come. And and he's also writing about the disobedience of the uh, false teachers as well. So his goal was to bring the majority into obedience which would ultimately clearly draw the line between the faithful in the church and the false teachers and those who followed them. So this statement, he, I want to, I'm going to punish every disobedience, that of the false teachers, when your obedience is complete, when you all have brought yourself in line to, to what is true and what is right in God's sight. When your obedience is complete, I will be there and be, and will be ready to deal with the disobedience of the false teachers. There, there's a, a statement that, that I've heard used, a phrase used often, and, and it's often used in a derogatory nature. And it's two words, doctrine divides. This is the rallying cry of those who hate conflict. It's the rallying cry, sadly, oftentimes, of those who are enemies of sound doctrine. But it's important that we understand, brothers and sisters, that actually sound doctrine unites the faithful while exposing the frauds. And this isn't just the job of pastors and teachers, brothers and sisters, It's the job of of, of the membership, the body of Christ to be subject to and built up in the word of God. That that, that we would be able to discern discern truth and error because our minds are set on God's truth. We're we're getting a pretty good idea of, of how divisive misinformation can be even now in our culture as we deal with this pandemic and, and the the different uh reports that we're getting about uh what works and fighting the virus and, and and how dangerous the virus is we we know that uh there there's uh, exaggerated claims concerning the seriousness of it but we also uh recognize that that there are also very serious situations where people have become sick and died and, and so all of this is going on and so Right before our eyes, we have a worldly example of what happens when, when there is very little objective truth that is that is set forth and promoted in front of the people. Well, this cannot be the case as it relates to our understanding and obedience to God's word. we We may never fully understand the seriousness of COVID-19 or we may never fully realize how much we could have done while we were under quarantine. And that really is not of the utmost importance. What's even more important, brothers and sisters, is that our understanding and our hearts and minds are so shaped by God's word that we can sniff out the falsehood of the false teaching that is so prevalent in the contemporary church today. We need to judge everything that we are taught through the lens of God's Word. It is not enough for you to like how a, a certain teacher may make you feel or, 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 or how gifted a communicator may be. The litmus test is were they true to God's Word? And as far as they are, you can trust them, but where they pervert it, They must be rejected. And if someone uh, perverts the clear doctrines of Scripture, then why would you want to trust them in other areas? We must take this seriously, brothers and sisters. The health of the church depends upon it. The truth is, brothers and sisters, sometimes we need to go to war over the truth. This past week, uh, a well-known apologist by the name of Ravi Zacharias passed away. And he was one who was known for his uh, faithfulness in debating and defending uh, the authority of Scripture and the trustworthiness of God's Word. Um, And I can tell you that uh, he, he lived that commitment even when he wasn't in front of people as it related to wanting to stand firm. There, there's a true story. I know it's true, uh, uh, of the fact that once, uh, he was asked to speak and, and be on stage with a number of speakers in an event that was not a debate. Um, and one of the speakers that had been asked to, to be a part of the program was a rank heretic and, and Zacharias uh, received an email from someone, a pastor that he had never met before. And, uh, They read it, and they did the research, and they realized that it was true, that they could not share a stage with this person if it was not to be a debate about what was true and what was not, that he could not give the impression that he somehow supported the ministry of this well-known false teacher. And it was more important to him to be Numbered uh, uh, among those who would be faithful and not give cause for stumbling in the church and, and standing for truth, uh, than, than it was to stay true and get a paycheck. He was true to what mattered most. And that's a way that we can follow that example as well, even if the majority of Christianity never knows who we are. Honoring the truth must be a key conviction in our lives. Brothers and sisters, that begins as we allow ourselves to be instructed, corrected, and trained by God's word. That's your application today, that's what I want for you. Understand the importance, Christian, of you each day submitting yourself to and growing in God's word. May God help us to be faithful to to read his word, not not in a legalistic way, but so that we will know him more fully and that we will be able to stand firm in this world that is filled with deceitful devils that pervert the truth of God's word. Let us pray together. Lord, I thank you for this call from the Apostle Paul to... Stand firm and uh, stand in the truth, Lord, to have your word be the weapon that we wield in this world of, of deceit as we seek to honor you in all that we do. And I pray, Lord, that you would raise up your church for that purpose. Lord, that we would be loving and honest and bold as we seek to care for those who are inside and outside the church that you would be glorified among us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.